want to welcome you on a cold, snowy day. And to those of you who didn't make it, evidently there's a lot of you. I hear you with us live streaming. We're absolutely humbled and honored that you're with us this morning. My favorite part about a snow day is I don't have to wear my usual suit and tie on a Sunday morning but I get to dress in my snow attire. You just got to love living in Colorado. So we want to let our children, as you see on the screen, I should have mentioned that first, ages two years through first grade, make their way to junior worship. And as they're going there, take your Bibles and turn this morning to Joshua chapter 13. In a bit of time, we're going to get there, but it's going to take us a while to get there. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our work that we offer to God. Every Sunday, that's the offering that we bring. We make it possible for you to contribute and worship God through, you can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through the bank. You can go online to our website. It's really easy. Click on the button give, follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can put your money in the box right there, your contribution on, on the way out. And now, have you ever wondered well, what do they do with all the money that has contributed? Well, I don't have time to tell you everything ab about the money that, that is used for your, from your donations. But I want to show you a video this morning. Because every time you put money in a plate, a portion of what you give goes towards what you're going to see right now. In Colorado Springs, poverty is hidden in plain sight. One out of three El Paso County residents works hard, but still struggles to survive. Bringing home a paycheck or two is not enough. As the middle class continues to shrink and become further under-resourced, more and more of our neighbors slip through the cracks. A seemingly minor setback can become a crisis for many individuals and families living paycheck to paycheck. A car breaks down, a medical bill arrives, an illness or injury becomes debilitating, a job is lost, or work hours are reduced. These are the kinds of situations that lead someone to Mercy's Gate. And since 1982, we've offered life-changing support and resources to people in crisis. Everyone who walks through our doors has a story, and many never imagined needing to ask for help. We work with our neighbors one-on-one -on -one to learn more about their situation offer our direct services, connect them to resources, and refer them to other local organizations. Our efforts create a much-needed safety net, giving hardworking individuals and families a place to turn in challenging times. We meet our neighbors where they are, in their crisis. We love with open arms. We listen with open hearts. We pray with them and share the transformative power of the gospel when appropriate. And with help from volunteers, church partners, and strategic community partners, we offer relief, hope, and a vision for restoration in Jesus' name. Our comprehensive approach and resources strive to address every area of one's life. Financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, relationships, education, and career. The path to restoration looks different for everyone. But at Mercy's Gate, we always begin with compassion. Because at Mercy's Gate, we believe a community is only as strong as its most vulnerable residents. And community is what happens when we take care of each other. 
a new life begins on the other side of Mercy's Gate. Let's walk our neighbors home together. So as as I'm guessing most of you know, because we talk about this organization a lot, our church has the honor and privilege of being what we call or what they call a partner church with Mercy's Gate. And that can mean many things for us in a very practical sense. It means four things. It means every time you put money in the contribution, a portion of that goes to Mercy's Gate to help people uh, in our community who are in need. And you'll also notice as you come in our, our, back, our front doors there, there's a big basket there that has Mercy's Gate on it. You bring in food and food is collected there and when that basket's full, we have someone designated to take that to Mercy's Gate as well. And then once a month on the fourth Monday of the month, a group of us go to Mercy's Gate and we provide a meal for, it can be anywhere from 80 to 100 people who've come that night for assistance. And I love that part of it because it's one thing to send money to someone and say, you guys take care of those people. But I love that we can be boots on the ground, that we can be there in person, meet these people, pray with these people, talk to these people, let them know that they're loved. It's just a great opportunity for us to do that. But there's a fourth way that our church is a partner church through Mercy's Gate, and it always comes around every year. It's an annual event. We call it our harvest offering, and there's two subcomponents to that that connect with Mercy's Gate. One of those is because Thanksgiving is just around the corner, there are a lot of families that are having a hard time making ends meet and don't have money for food and tons of stories like that we see all the time there. And so we're asking, we are going to bring on November 19th our harvest offering. It's going to be composed of two things. First of all, it's going to be a Thanksgiving meal kit. A bag that you will get, as a matter of fact, on your way out today. We want to just get one per family starting out today. Uh, Matt, if you'd like to turn around. Matt is displaying the bag right now for everyone. Thank you, Matt. It's at the table on the, on the way out. There's a list of what to buy there along with don't buy a turkey. Give a, a gift card for a turkey on there. And get one per, per family right now. A lot of times people take 10 and we run out. So... Let's get 50 families to participate, and then if we have extra bags, we'll certainly let you know. And do your best to follow the instructions on the card there, because that way we don't have to sort through the bags and fix them. They can be exactly what we're asking for. So that's one way we're going to worship God on November 19th, is we're just going to bring the bags forward, we're going to pray over them, and then 50 families are going to come that afternoon, and we're going to meet them and, and give them a Thanksgiving meal kit for their family. But another part of the program is also what is called Home for the Holidays. And the objective of Home for the Holidays is literally to keep people in their homes for the holidays. You may not experience it, but every time we're at Mercy's Gate, there are people who are on the verge of being evicted and not being able to stay in their homes. And Mercy's Gate says, let's at least try to mitigate that to some degree over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. It's really, really hard for us. The hardest part for me when I go there is to know that there's 100, 120 people that come, maybe 50 or 60 families are represented, and only about 10 to 15 families are going to get assistance with their housing that night because there's just 
not enough funds. And so Mercy's Gate says, all right, let, let's, let's not let that happen in December. Let's not turn anyone away, but they need the funds in order to do that. And so I want you to really be praying about it and thinking about on the day when you bring your harvest offering of food of also preparing for a financial gift offering that you can help someone. And it's, it's for real. Stay in their home over the holidays. And when I say it's for real, it's real. Those of you that go to Mercy's Gate know um, and talk to the people, you know that we're talking about real people who live in real places. This past Monday night, we were there. And I interacted and visited with a, a woman. Actually, I know their family pretty well. She has four children. One of her sons died a few years ago when he was 10 years old. And now she has three children. Her husband left her a year ago and she has a restraining order against him. This month, the month of October, right now, her landlord said, you're not keeping up with rent. We're going to have to evict you. And I know her very well. This is not someone going here and getting money, going here and getting money and not working or taking advantage of the system. This is a Christian believing woman who's working very hard as a single mom whose life is spiraling downward. And we have an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of families like hers by providing a meal and helping people like her and her families stay um, in their homes over the holidays. And that's all through our harvest offering. And so I just want you to be praying about that. You're offering, pick up a bag on the way out. If you have questions, ask me or Sarah in the office. Now, let's move into the book of Joshua, chapter 13, as we're continuing our series there. Up to this point, we have been walking through what I would call a very dramatic story. God has been doing some absolutely incredible, miraculous things among his people. I mean, the crossing the Jordan River, the walls of Jericho falling, hail coming from the sky. It's like high drama. And it's been high drama in the sense that we've been following a story of, of a war of all places in the, in the land of Palestine. Still, it's happening back then, it's happening now. And we're seeing this hard story, dramatic story of the, the Israelites and the Canaanites going at it in battle after battle, all for the purpose of the Israelites retaking their land. And so two weeks ago, we had a break last week for our mission Sunday, but two weeks ago in our last lesson, we saw that finally these battles had come to a close. And it says in the text in the last chapter there in chapter 11 that the land rested for more. And so now as we step in to the next chapters, and especially we're going to look in chapter 13 this morning, and actually in verses 24 through 28, when the battle's over, it's time for the Israelites to take all this land that they have conquered and to divide it up among the various tribes. And there's a lot to read. This section actually is the largest section in Joshua. It goes from chapters 13 through chapter 19. Not going to read that all. I'm just going to read a little sampling this morning. But I want to warn you ahead of time. 
What I'm getting ready to read to you is not for the faint of heart. If you are pregnant or have a heart condition, you may want to step out. This could be some of the most riveting and spine-tingling stuff you'll read in the Bible. You're ready. Chapter 13, starting at verse 24. Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad, to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites to Eror, which is east of Rabbath, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah, and Betonim from Mahanim to the territory of Debir. And in the territory of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Succoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sion, king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary to the lower end of the sea of Chinnereth, eastward, eastward beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance of the people of Gad, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. Are you not feeling the goosebumps? <laughs> okay, so I, I might have been a little bit sarcastic that couldn't be me with the references to it being riveting and spine tingling but let me just warn you you keep reading and it's just more and more chapter after chapter of that of all of these detailed descriptions of the the boundaries here's the boundaries of the lands and here's where this tribe went and here's these cities and here are these people and it's the names of these people that um, honestly it's, it's really difficult to even pronounce their names and you remember I told you up to this point if we were to take the book of Joshua and put it into a movie we would have to say for mature audiences only because it is hard to read it is bloody it is war it is fighting it is drama it makes you cringe as you watch it it makes you sometimes want to close your eyes and you're sitting on the edge of the seat but if this section of Joshua were to be included in the movie this would be the part where you would fall asleep very likely and I think while some of us would be tempted to skip this section in Joshua you ever done that you read and go I'm not reading that or maybe you would read through it really quickly because you're thinking man this is just incredibly boring the truth is if your name was in there and if where you live was lifted listed there you would be reading this going whoa my name is there this is where I live that's my home And there's something here that I just love about God in all of these crazy details. And it's not just in Joshua. You ever read Leviticus? Like, goodness, you get bogged down in details. You ever read Numbers? And you even go into the the books of the Gospels and you follow the story of Jesus and you see the mention of people, places, and things that a lot of people just don't really care about. But God evidently does. The Bible is filled with unknown and unseen people, places, and things that we would consider insignificant. And if we were writing the story, we'd say, no, don't put that in the story. But God wanted it in the story because these people and places are significant to God. The largest section of Joshua is what you might could call minute, detailed minutia. It's like, do we really need that? But if you think about it, 
That's really where most of us live our lives. Okay, so some of us have every once in a while some of the high drama or the excitement like you see in Joshua. We have our, our crossing the Jordan stories and we have our walking around the walls of Jericho. But most of our lives, the largest part of our lives are lived in the, you might could say, the daily busy humdrum minutia. Just like we see here in these chapters in Joshua, we see the story of God in the minutia. This section of Joshua that seems like a, a monotonous blur of facts and details and names of people, it represents people, real people, in real places. It represents stories of people that matter to God. And so what we're going to do in future lessons is we're going to look at some of those stories. You know some of the names. Some of them I doubt you've ever heard of. Well, we're going to look at Caleb. Yeah, we kind of know that name. Then we're going to look at the story of the daughters of Zelophehad. I don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly. Who in the world is he? God wants us to know. We're going to look at the stories of the Anakites, the Kenizzites, the Levites, the Danites. People, for the most part, you've never heard of. That A lot of people really don't care if they've ever heard about him. But they are people who matter to God. People whose stories are important to God. And I think that's really important for two reasons. Because I think sometimes we may look at our lives and think, you know, I'm just, and uh, Ben did a great job talking about it. We just kind of look at our lives and I'm just one little piece in billions of people. I'm just a speck. I'm an unimportant person in the universe. But this shows me that who you are, where you live, and what you do in the larger story of God and his kingdom work is very significant. If I look at this passage here that I just read, I would say, man, that's nothing. Why in the world would I even read that? But then when I take that passage and I look at it in the larger context of Joshua, I look at it in the larger context of the Bible, and I see that that insignificant part of Joshua that's just filled with details and facts that we've already forgotten actually play a big part, a big role in God's story of bringing Jesus into the world. Last Monday night, I sat with our Eastside Governance Council and we had four pieces of paper. Each one of us had four pieces of paper filled with details of things we had to talk about. And it was like reading through these sec this section in Joshua. We were looking at the Eastside budget. I mean, I almost had to get a magnifying glass with all these little details. We had a piece of paper that was talking about our SOI. Statement of intent. We got to figure that out. And then we were looking at our MOU. It's like all these abbreviations. That's what happens when you live in a military town. Our MOU, our memorandum of understanding. We were talking about HVACs. About dumpsters. About our wastewater. 
and so many other details of what you might consider to be minutiae. And you look at that and you think, why am I at this meeting? This is so incredibly boring. This is so unspiritual. Who wants to be here? But to the contrary, all of those details that we might consider insignificant and unimportant are very significant in the larger, incredible work that God is doing here in changing lives. It's really exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, you got this big body, but don't be deceived. There's not just a head and a heart and legs. There's a lot of little bitty pieces that seem very unimportant that you can't live without. And the body desperately needs them. And then that is also true for you and your life. You may look at this text and think, yeah, that's pretty much me. Boring, insignificant, unseen, unknown to most people. But you are of great value and great worth as your story fits into God's larger story. But I think there's another reason why this is so important. At first glance, when I try to look at our world with how many cars... How many buildings, how many cities, millions and millions, cities I've never heard of, I couldn't even name all the countries, with over 7 billion people. It just seems like one big blur. But in every case, in every place, each home represents the story of a real person living in a real place, each that's known by God, part of God's larger story. So this is a picture of my house. And for those of you that are watching live stream, somebody that's more mature and responsible than I am, say, Eddie, you don't put your address out on the internet like that. So you're missing the pictures. But there is the beautiful picture that you're missing of the mansion that Karen and I live in here. So you look at this picture. I'm sorry you're missing that. You just get to see me now. This is a picture of my house. And we couldn't take the address out quickly. You can see my beautiful front yard. You can see my driveway and in the shade. You can see my, um, my backyard. And you can see the... Um, the borders of my little postage stamp dwelling. And then you zoom out. Google Earth zooms out, so you're not seeing this, but we zoom out just a little bit, and you start seeing my neighborhood. And this is, I think, pretty much all of my neighborhood. We got hundreds of houses in, in my neighborhood. And I doubt Karen is ever going to say to me, Eddie, I want that picture on the wall of our living room. I mean, has there ever been an uglier picture of all these minute little houses? But in every house, there's a family. And there's a story. If you look closely right there, that's where the Umlingers live. They're my neighbors. That house right up there, with the kids that are kind of running around in the front yard wild. That's the hearts. That's where the hearts live. 
just down the road from my house. I'm serious. You see the little red de- uh, speck there? That's where um, the Richardsons live as well. Next door to my house are the Momoyutoks, a family from Ukraine. One big blur of a bunch of stories of people that really matter to God. And then here's what's crazy about it. Sorry, live stream people, you're missing that. Then you Google Earth out some more. And then all of a sudden, you start realizing how small you are in the universe. And all of a sudden, you realize... I'm not even, I'm not even a speck in the vast universe. And here, middle of all this, in a city that the majority of people in the universe and the world have never heard of, Colorado Springs. I can't give you the address, but I'll say the neighborhood in Wagon Trails subdivision in a little brown house down in his basement is a guy named Eddie that's praying to God about his prostate. And the doctors will tell you that's average size of a prostate's about the size of a walnut. And maybe, maybe I get it that if I were like a prime minister or a president or uh, a king of some big country. Okay, maybe God would say, hey, we need to listen to what he's saying. Maybe. Or maybe I would get it if, if he's going to listen to me, I would pray to God about my brain or my heart or my lungs. <laughs> but what does he care about my little walnut? And he does. And here's the thing, I don't know what he's going to do about it as I pray to him, but here's what I know. He sees me. How does he see me? He hears me. He knows how to spell my full name. He knows how many hairs Or on my head. He cares for me. And as I take my life. And I see it in a larger picture. Of the story of God. Of bringing Jesus into the world. He even died for me. And that's huge. For me to grasp. Because in my life. And in your life. This filled with so much. That causes fear and anxiety. Knowing this about God gives me what I'm calling a fearless comfort to face whatever. Because I know this about God. How do I know this? Well, because I'm reading Joshua and I'm thinking, seriously? Who is he? 
God says, oh, he's important to me. I, I know that because I know it from Joshua. But God doesn't just let us know this by telling us in Scripture. We also know that we are cared for and loved by other people. Karen and I know that we are cared for and loved by other people because we know it from you, from the incredibly generous donations that we didn't ask for, but you have given to us to cover some of our ridiculous medical expenses. And I thought this would be a chance for me just to say how much we deeply appreciate you letting us know how loved and how cared for we are. And so this is, this is the theme. And this is, I didn't give you this to read in your life groups because who wants to read about all the boundaries and the people and places thing? And maybe you can. But I gave you Psalms chapter 8 because what I'm telling you, this is exactly what the psalmist is saying in Psalm chapter 8. And I want you to unpack that further in your life group. He, he, he says, God, and this is Eddie's version of it. When I try to wrap my brain around you and understand you, oh, you're huge. You're, you're just majestic is the word that he use, uses. And then he goes, when I, when I then go outside, you ever done this and looked at the sky at night or in the daytime? And God, I, I see all the stars and the moon that you placed in the sky. I'm just blown away at the vastness and the hugeness and your majesty and all that you have done. And I'm sitting here looking at myself trying to figure out, wow, I'm small. And then he says, what is man? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious. That you are mindful of him. The son of man. That you care for him. And the obvious answer to that rhetorical question is he does care. That's what I'm seeing here in Joshua. So let's come full circle now. And let's come back to Mercy's Gate. Because you see our city is filled so we think about our harvest offering with people who are going through terribly difficult times. This past Monday night, oh, we had a wonderful team from Eastside that were there. And so I sat down as, the, as our Eastside members are, are bringing out food, food that you've helped provide through your offerings. And I met this woman named Kathleen McClellan. She says, I want you to sit down and talk to me. She says, I used to be a member at Eastside back when y'all were on Circle Drive. I was actually baptized there. And Kathy was there with her daughter. I forgot her name. Thankfully, God hasn't. That's really part of the story, right? But I remember her, her granddaughter's name that was sitting across from me, Harley. Harley is seven years old. And so Kathy and her daughter and Harley and three other people live in her home have run out of money. They were able to pay this month's rent, but as of Monday, they didn't have any money for food. But they had food from Mercy's Gate because you provided. And they were eating a meal that our Eastside members were feeding them. And so while I'm talking to Kathy and Harley and her, her daughter, um, Phoebe and Anna, have you met them yet? They came up to sit down with me, all right? Emoyo uh, uh, and Nathan's daughters, and Anna's seven years old, and so is Harley. And so they started talking and playing, and Harley pulled out her little dolls. And the next thing you know, God is using Phoebe and Anna to bless his family. And I said to Phoebe and Anna, let's pray with them, and we did. And there were tears just coming out of Kathy's eyes and her daughter's eyes as we prayed for them. And then I moved on to another table to visit with another family, and it was a guy named Daniel and Elizabeth, and they were very distraught when I sat down at their table. They, people don't go to Mercy's Gate because life is good for them 
They'd gotten married. They'd met at Fort Carson. They'd gotten married and they had three children and life was going all right for them. And then they have just run out of funds and they don't know if they're going to lose their home or not. And so I'm talking to them about this and just trying to show them that we care. And Phoebe and Anna decide to come up with Mr. Eddie again. And they sit down and they bring their stickers and they're showing their stickers and playing with their stickers with Daniel and Elizabeth. And even Anna even said to Elizabeth, do y'all want to play the telephone game together? And so all of a sudden you've seen Daniel and Elizabeth's faces light up, change. And what missionaries those sweet girls were. Um, it was not this past Monday, but the Monday before when we were there, I sat down at a table and there was a little boy named Abdul. He's 11 years old from Afghanistan so was his father and his mother his father and Abdul were there at the table no one else was there with them it's from their family and they told me their story dad doesn't speak English well so dad's trying a little bit Abdul's translating or just telling me the story himself do you remember when American forces were pulled out of Kabul in Afghanistan and it and it just put a lot of American forces in danger and a lot of people, Af Afghan people in danger. Well, these, this was a family that was there in that moment. The father actually worked for the armed services there and the uh, military, American military personnel that was there said to him, he said, you go get your wife and your children and get on that plane. And they did. They made their way here and they came to Mercy's Gate because they were hungry and needed help. And as Abdul told the stories of the Taliban, you could see fear on his face and his dad's face. And if I had time for an eight-hour sermon, I'd keep going on and on and on with story after story of people in our city who got up this morning and they're wondering, do I matter? Does anybody care not does God see me is there a God does he see me does he hear does he know me and so maybe I could go to mercy's gate and preach this sermon to them and they could get it maybe but the best way <coughs> that they could get it is through our harvest offering through the food and financial donations that we're going to bring on November 19th so that people can have a meal and so that people can stay warm in their home over the holidays. And so really, there's a way you can live the truth here in this story in Joshua. Well, I'm going to say it again. Be praying about and be preparing for what your offering can be to help a family like Abdul and his dad and his mom and his sister. And pick up a bag on the way out. Just one per family. And if you're going, oh, I want to do that, but I can't be here on November 19th, then let us know and we can make arrangements to uh, get that from you earlier. That's what we'll do that morning. That afternoon at 1 o'clock, 50 families, contacts through Mercy's Gate, are going to come here. And we're going to get to meet them and give them a bag of food for Thanksgiving. Get to pray with them. We're going to help them to learn the truth that we've seen today in Joshua. That in this busy blur 
of this dramatic world of billions of people where I feel perhaps so small, so unseen, so insignificant. There's a God who sees me. There's a God who knows me. There's a God who loves me. There's a God who cares for me. And there's a God who came to this earth and died for me. And you see, that's not just true for our neighbors from Mercy's Gate who will be here in our community. That's true for you and for me. Regardless of what you bring this morning, regardless of what you're feeling or going through, there is a God who sees you and cares. And your story, though small and insignificant, it's a part of his larger story. So would you stand with me and we're just going to transition into a time of prayer. We're going to offer this song to God and there's a lot fewer of us here but still there are many burdens and hurts and challenges that are represented by those that are here and those of you that are live streaming. Why don't you really participate with us as well. If you know someone that's not here but but needs you to give them a call, you'd step out and call them and pray with them. If you're here this morning and you're carrying a heavy burden, you need somebody to pray for you or you know who that person is, I want to encourage you as we offer up this song to God to go and let somebody know God sees you, God cares, and God hears you as we pray together. Let's pray together now. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.